0: Hey, we are jumping back into the Gospel of Luke series. So if you could all grab your Bibles, okay? Or if you're a heathen, grab your phone, either way. So I don't care, either way is fine. I was a joke, by the way. All right, there'll be a few of those, so just keep up, it'll be all right. So Luke chapter 16, um, we are gonna jump into that. So we are continuing Gospel of Luke series. We've been in chapter 15 here, and we're in chapter 16. We're making it there, guys. We're getting there through the, the book of Luke. And so we're going to jump into that uh, today. And so as you guys turn there, I want to just um, explain again, just catch everybody up with where we're at in the book of Luke. Um, and so in the, if you look here in fifteen that we were just in, okay, in the very beginning, fifteen one and two, you have. Oh, thank you, everybody, give up for Logan. He's the best. Look at that guy. He's a sweetheart. He's a sweetheart. Thank you. That's what his wife calls him. All right, so Luke chapter fifteen, uh, verses one and two. If you look back at those, it um, it kind of sets up this whole this whole line of parables. Okay, and parables were stories that Jesus told to help people understand a greater concept. Okay, he was the he was an amazing preacher, an amazing storyteller, teacher, and he would do this often. But the setup here is we're gonna talk about the parable of the dishonest manager today, okay? But this is in a line of parables that come out of chapter 15. If you look at verse one and two of 15, if you have your Bible open, you can look there real quick. If you have your phone, it's not as fast. Okay, so 51 and two says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them, okay? So what's happening here? in Luke chapter 15, as he just got done with teaching just all kinds of different things. He's teaching to his disciples and it begins to draw in non-believers, tax collectors and sinners. It's like people who weren't believers, but they were intrigued. I mean, because of just the way he talked and the authority he had and the stories he told and just the truth that he was speaking, it began to draw people in. And so then it says in, the, in verse 15, one and two, or sorry, chapter 15, verses one and two, it says that they were being drawn in And the religious leaders began to criticize him and says, Oh yeah, because he eats with sin. He was saying that he was associated with them. They were challenging his righteousness, right? And so then right out of that, he teaches several parables, okay? Teaches several stories. And so this is one of those things Jesus would do sometimes is he has the crowd in front of him, okay, that he's speaking to, okay, that he's talking to. All right, and it's full of disciples it was the 12 disciples but when I say disciples it was like everybody who was following him in that town in that area wanting to listen to him so they're following him and then uh, non-believers begin to come in and listen and then he knows see, he either hears this or he just knows because he's God that they are criticizing him for the unbelievers being in this group and so he's talking to the crowd in front of him and he's telling these parables but really he's speaking to those off to the side that were challenging his righteousness. So he would do this a lot. It's kind of like when you're like, so, you know, you're talking about to somebody, but you're like, yeah, I really hate when people do that. You know, and it's like, you're really just talking to that guy over there. And that's kind of what he was doing. So he jumps into the parable of the lost sheep that we talked Scott talked about a few weeks ago, um, the lost coin uh, last week guy talked about the prodigal son if you're a father in here if you miss father's day makes sure you listen to that message but all those are coming out of just that response to them criticizing him because there were sinners a part of this group and then in chapter 16 we're still in that same setting so i set that up just so you know what's kind of happening here is he was talking to the crowd teaching them truth useful things helpful things but he's kind of hitting these religious elite and their hearts and what's happening in them and so in 16, it kind of takes a turn of what he's talking about, okay, but, but then it, um, but he's still talking to those same people. So chapter 16, if you're not there yet, you're probably not looking in a Bible, so make sure you're looking in a Bible, and then you'll find 16, Luke 16. Okay, so we're going to read, read through this this morning. So 16, verse 1, we're going to read the first 13 verses. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked, what is this I hear about you? And asked him, yeah, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer uh, be manager. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I I know what I'll do. So that when... I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. I, um, yeah, he, he replied, I told him, take your bill, make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, Who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can not serve both God and money. Would you pray with me over this word today? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is within, um, not only for the people who originally heard it, but for our lives today. Lord, would you just... Um, help this to fall on what the bible call you would call good soil god i pray this seed would fall on good soil in jesus name amen all right so Luke 16 this is a this is a great parable um, but it can be a little confusing okay in some ways it makes sense and then there's a couple things in there particularly one verse that sometimes make this confusing when Jesus starts to apply this and so he tells this story about this guy this this um this dishonest manager, and then he starts to apply it, and then he kind of brings in some principles. And so we're going to talk about the parable. I want to hit um, just some of those confusing things, and we're going to jump right into that to make sure we aren't misunderstanding this. And then we're gonna we're gonna just jump right into those principles, those timeless truths that Jesus teaches out of it. So so in this parable, um, like I said, a parable is not this is not a real story. He's not like hey, this one guy I knew this happened to him. He's just he's just telling this story. Of something made up so that people could um, get the, get a greater concept, and so in this case, sometimes he would just tell the parable, and then that was it, and people would be like, "Well, what does that mean?" And you kind of had to figure it out yourself. This time, he actually kind of applies it, explains it, and then further does some further teaching on it, which is nice. But there is one thing he says in there that seems um, a little confusing. Okay, so at first, what happens is there's a he say, "Hey, there's a guy who's a manager of of someone else's accounts." Okay, and and it comes back that he is. We call this the parable of the dishonest manager because Jesus calls him that later. But it actually says he gets fired for being just a lousy manager. It says he was wasting the, the owner's possessions. Okay, And so he, he, the boss finds out about this and he's like, dude, you're fired. Turn in your accounts. He's like, he's got to get the information on the accounts so he can give that to somebody else. And so this guy, who's actually kind of a realist because he's like, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm too proud to beg. Like, he knew himself. He's like, I'm not going to beg people, and I ain't going to work. And so he decides, like, hey, I know what I'll do. And he, and he has these guys come, and he said, how much do you owe? He's like, change that. Change it to this. Change it to that. So he made some friends so that when he needed somewhere to live, they would be like, yeah, sure you can live. You canceled half my debt for me. All right? And so the confusing part is in verse 8. Okay, the first half of verse 8 when it's when jesus said the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly, and when you first read this you're like hold on did jesus just say that the master would commend you if you're being dishonest and taking you know like doing something like that which was really it was a horrible thing to do by the way if you're going to get fired probably not the best thing to do after that is to then steal from the boss okay and so He's, is, he, is he saying that? And it can be kind of confusing in that, and that just doesn't seem right, and it's because it's not right. And here's, it's, it's not the point here. And so I just want to hit this and to make sure we understand this because sometimes there are a lot of, even if, if if you're like, hey, I don't quite understand that, or if there's somebody else, sometimes when, especially when people who aren't believers will read the Bible, they'll say, hey, that doesn't make any sense. That's contradictory. And then they just kind of throw it out. Well, that's not exactly what's, what's happening here, okay? What, first off, he says, We got to not misinterpret a couple words. He says that he commended him for acting shrewdly, or some other translations say for for his shrewdness. Okay, and shrewd is a word that if I said, "Hey, what does that mean? Does it have a positive or negative connotation to it?" Most of us might think it has a negative one, right? If you do, you think it has a negative when you say shrewd? Anyone? No, you're not sure. Did anyone heard the word shrewd before? Okay, good. Okay, you're with me. All right, we're all on the same page. Okay, so. I feel like sometimes that has this negative connotation because of things like this. He said he acted shrewdly. It's like he literally canceled people's debt. He stole from the boss, all right? He was dishonest to do this, and he said he, the manager said he, he, he uh, commended him for acting shrewdly. Well, shrewdness is just the quality of having or showing good powers of judgment. How many would like to have those qualities? Good powers of judgment, right? So we'd want to be shrewd. And there's, there's like an old archaic definition of shrewd that is kind of this mischievous Thing, But it's not been used for a long time like that, or at least in any official way. And so, um, so it's like that. And there's also the term shrew. You know, there's a shrew, like there's a little animal. And then the other definition of a shrew is a bad-tempered or aggressively assertive woman, okay? Husbands, do not call your wife a shrew, okay? <laughs> that is not the same word. I just want to make sure you get that, Okay. Don't call him that. that's what shrew means for that. You have the, you know, uh, uh, um, that one guy, the old English guy who wrote stuff. Shakespeare, yeah, him. He had the taming of the shrew. All right, that was what that was about, okay? That's not the same thing either, but sometimes these words kind of get these negative connotations to them. and so he wasn't, and the thing is, that what's important to understand is he wasn't commending him for being dishonest. He said he commended the dishonest guy for acting shrewdly, okay? which, Which really was, in a sense, meant, that he was, he was commending him for being clever. Cause really, it was pretty clever. I mean, it was wrong, it was horrible, don't do it. But it was pretty smart. Like it was a, it was a good idea for someone who's too lazy to work and too proud to ask people for favors. Like, I mean, it, it, it kind of was a smart thing to do. And the Greek word used there that's translated as shrewd, okay, I'm not gonna try to pronounce it. If you wanna know what it is, I'll tell you. But the definition of that is just practically wise or sensible. Okay, intelligent, prudent, sensible, wise. Okay, it's the same word used often in the New Testament that's translated as wise. It's the exact same word. So when I say be wise in Christ, same word used when he said he commended him for acting, acting shrewdly. And so he's really commending the wisdom because he's like, hey, that was pretty, pretty smart. And so even that word command, I feel like sometimes, you know, we, when we think, I, when I initially read this when I was younger, especially, I'd be like, so this dude kept his job? Because he stole, like, because it sounds like he commended him. Like, he's like, "Hey guys, check him out! Did you? He did this. That was really cool. This is the best guy I've ever known." Like, that's kind of like you know, when you commend somebody, you're like recognizing them for their. And really, what's happening here is that again, that Greek word used there is kind of a a, comp- a compound word, okay? Um, and the first part of that is epi, which means fitting, okay? And then it, the the next part of it is aenyo. Okay, I probably butchered that, but it's fine, okay? And, you know, which means to praise, okay? And so so the concept here that that you jump into is this uh, idea that which it implies to praise in a fitting or apt manner as appropriate or adequate, adequate to, the, to the situation. Jesus wasn't implying this like, hey, this guy did all this dishonest stuff and that really got him on the boss's good side. No, I think that guy definitely got fired. It was like he just proved why he got fired to the boss. He was like, he was wasting his possessions, and then he just proved that he didn't care about the boss's stuff. He didn't care about the owner's, owner's stuff. And so he just was commending him because the manager was like, or the, the owner was like, you know, it was a really pretty smart thing to do. You could, you could say like, man, that was a good one, and still be like, you got me, and I'm really mad at you. But it was a smart, it was a smart move. Okay? It's kind of like, kinda like uh, another example would be um, my, I have th- three little boys, and they're obsessed with Jurassic Park okay, right now, okay, the original Jurassic Park, okay, because I'm a purist, all right, it's the original Jurassic Park, okay, but there's a scene in Jurassic Park, and I'm going to ruin this for you, but guess what, guys, this movie came out in 1993, if you have not seen it, all right, it's too late, I'm going to ruin it for, okay, so there's a part where there's a guy who's a game warden, okay, and they're trying to get through somewhere, and he sees that there's this raptor, this dinosaur out there, right, and he's going to go hunt it, and he's got it, and he's like, hunts it down. He's right there. He's getting his shotgun all ready to take the shot. And right before he does, another one pops his head out right here. And his last words are, he says, clever girl. Because all the dinosaurs are female in Jurassic Park. You should know that, right? That's right. You guys do. All right. So, all right. He says, clever girl. And then he gets eaten. Okay. So, listen, he was not like, man, that's my favorite. This is my favorite moment. I'm so proud of what just happened. He was just like, man, they got me. Right? it's like, they got me. The guy still got eaten. All right. I just, again, ruining it for you. Okay. But again, 93. All right. But it's the same idea here. That's so why I think that the, the, when, when Jesus ended this story, he's like, the the owner commended him for his shrewdness. He's like, that was a good one. That was a clever guy. You're so fired. But that was a good one. Nick, like, you got me. I should have never let you turn in your own accounts. I should have gone and got them myself. Like, that's what's kind of happening here. And so that's sometimes I think can be a kind of confusing part of this uh, um, uh, of this parable is that you get to this point right when he starts to teach and you're like, wait a second, is he condemning him for being dishonest? Like, no, he's just saying that was a good one. That was a smart idea. If you're too lazy to work that you did that and you stole from me, you're definitely fired. Okay, because he was dishonest, all right? And so, let um, me find my place here. So he uses this story then to, jump into the purpose. So right there, though, you have this, this, this change, though. He just told this story. This is a great um, parable where Jesus then explains the parable to us a little bit, okay? And so you get into the rest of verse eight, okay? After he said he, act, he acted shrewdly, he's like, man, that was a good one. He says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed in the eternal dwellings. So Jesus right here takes uses the, the, the wording of and the, the, the wording of the story that he just told to try to apply this to us as believers, okay, as people of light. He says because he's like man, he even commended him because he's like even though it was wrong, he commended because like that was a, that was a smart thing to do, a selfish thing to do, but it was a smart thing to do. And he said because the people of this world are more wise, are more shrewd in dealing with their own their own kind than than our people of the light. He says, "How much more than we should we, if they will, because the guy in the story used worldly wealth that wasn't his, okay, to gain friends for himself so that he'd have a place to stay, he'd have a, he'd have a dwelling to go to." And he said, "How much more should people of the light be using worldly wealth that doesn't matter, and to gain friends for yourselves so that you'd be welcomed into eternal dwellings? How much more should we, as believers, be investing in things that are going to lead to eternal life? If some, on this earth somebody would be willing." to be as wise as they can to take care of their own life, why aren't we doing that to invest in eternity? Because for them, that may be everything. Money was everything, but they were willing to use it or use someone else's or do whatever they can to take care of themselves. And for us, something that doesn't matter in eternity, we should be willing to use that wisely in the best way we can so that others could know Jesus so that, that, that the kingdom of God could grow and that we could be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And the whole idea here is that we should be willing to use earthly wealth to invest in eternity if other people are willing to just take care of their own lives. Now, we should be even more shrewd, more wise than the people of this world, okay? And Jesus often did this when he was doing this thing where he's talking to his disciples, the crowd, but then he's really speaking to the religious elite because one of the things that comes up more and more all the time when he was speaking to them is he would start talking about money because they loved it. And they loved to hold on to it. They loved to figure out ways to make religious laws that got them more money from people. And they would do all these kind of things. And so he, he's already hitting them with like, hey, you have no heart for people and you care about other things more than people. He just in those other parables. And now he comes back around and he says, and by the way, money. And he just starts talking about that with them here and so that's why he kind of comes into that because when you start talking about things of money then it has our attention and it had their attention and so that's what he brings that in and then in verse 10 he just starts teaching some principles of 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 what are of, of what's really important and so here's the deal we're going to jump into these principles okay and i'm going to give you some practical things um, these are again, these are principles of of riches, and, and and but there are truths in here that apply to so many things, and Jesus was the best at just being to break things down. And so we're going to jump in to get some practical thoughts on this. And so um, if you, like I said, if you um, you can get the notes online, so if you want to follow along in that, it may help. As we're going to jump into verse ten through thirteen, and that's where we're going to hang out the rest of this time. And remember, the whole concept here is that we should be willing to invest in eternity and not the temporary things. And so the first thing is this, the little things matter, okay? What is it that Jesus wants us to understand from this story? The first thing is this, the little things matter. Verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. I absolutely love this verse. Man, whoever can be trusted with little, they can be trusted with much. Whoever's dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. The, the point of this is little or big, it all speaks to your character. It doesn't matter if you have a little bit, if you have a lot. We're talking about, again, he's talking about riches here. You have a little bit of money, you have a lot of money, whatever it is, whatever it is that you have a lot of this or a little of this. And sometimes we think, man, if I just had more of this, then I would be able to act. And he's like, it doesn't matter. Whether you have a little bit or a lot, what you do with what you have and what you've been given speaks to your heart. Okay, test that. Matthew twelve thirty five says this, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. In the ESV um, translation, it says it like this, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil tre- tre- treasure brings forth evil. Here's the point. What is in your heart is more important than what is in your hand. What is in your heart is more important than what is in your hand. And sometimes we get so caught up in what we have in our hands of how much we've been given or if we could have more of that than what we could do. And we don't focus on the fact that it's really all about what's in our heart. And what's in our heart is so much more important because that determines whether whatever we have in our hand, man, that's what we're going to do with it. And so don't, here's my challenge to you, don't get caught up in the well if game, okay? we're really good at the well if game it's like well if i had a higher paying job you know maybe then i could you know give more i could do do this or that well if god would bless us more then you know we could do more for him or well if i had this then maybe i could do this and we can easily get caught up in that well if game well if if i had this and the truth is if you're faithful in little you'll be faithful in much and if you're dishonest in little you'll be dishonest in much you and I need to be faithful with what God has given us today instead of waiting for someday when we might start doing that. Because if we, if we do that, if we wait for someday, someday won't ever come, okay? Do the little things right. Do little things well right now, okay? Second thing is this. Faithfulness provides future opportunity, okay? Our faithfulness provides future opportunity. All right, look at verse 11 and 12. Says so, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Your faithfulness proves your trustworthiness. Okay, and that's um, it, it's like telling how many of you have ever told your kids a secret? Have we done that? We did that early on with Ben. We te- but we didn't tell him a big secret, okay? We told him a little one. It was like who what we got our, our second son Eli for his birthday or something, and like immediately Eli knew what he got for his birthday, right? It was just like immediately, okay? And so then we knew, like, okay, don't tell him that mommy's pregnant, you know, because he'll tell people. I'm not making an announcement right now. I sort of make that very clear, okay? We were talking about our third son Luke, okay? It was years ago. Just no rumors, please, okay? No pregnant, okay? All right, but we knew not to tell him, right? Because it was like, he blew it with that one. There's no way if we told him a bigger secret, he was gonna keep it. Like there was just no, no way. It just totally makes sense in those small things. But it's, it's so true with, with everything is when we're faithful in the small things, like we talked about a minute ago, we're faithful with much, but it also, that, that faithfulness to take it further because that proves um, our, what opportunities we could have in the future, what God will give us, Okay. Because here's the thing, in the kingdom of God, money that he's talking about in this doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter at all. It holds no eternal importance or significance. However, how you manage earthly or unrighteous wealth is what he calls it in this, this story or that's temporary, shows God if you can be trusted with what truly matters, what he truly treasures, what, what he calls true riches, and which holds eternal importance. All the things that really matter, that matter in eternity, what jesus is saying here is like if you can't be trusted with worldly wealth how could you be trusted with true riches if the thing that is 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 not going to last forever how could you be trusted with something else it's a test okay first chronicles 29 17 says i know my god that you test the heart and you are pleased with integrity um and Uh, Proverbs 17, three says this, the crucible is for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Man, get that. The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. All that money is going to be burned up anyway. And it's something that like we all, I mean, it's all, it can be really important to us, right? Because we worked hard for it and there's that link to it and there's all these things. And he's like, but in eternity, that stuff's just going to get burned up. That stuff's not going to make it. He says, the Lord's word about your heart. And so that's why he says. How, if you can't be trusted with those, with those worldly things, the things that aren't gonna go beyond this, this life, how in the world could you be trusted with the things that have eternal significance? And so um, just like he said in verse nine, he said, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed in eternal dwellings. It's that same concept. Don't let money get in the way of investing in things like relationships and your walk with Christ or your spouse's walk with Christ and that relationship, your kids walk with Christ and those things that are important and eternal because the money will be gone someday, meaning it literally won't even exist. Not that it's going to run out because we could all run our money out if we really wanted to, right? Like we could, we could figure out stuff to buy, right? But I mean, it just won't even exist anymore. But those eternal things. They last forever, okay. And also in verse twelve, it says that if you can't be trusted with someone else's stuff, who will give you your own stuff? This guy had it wasn't his stuff. It wasn't his. That's why it's so easy for him just to cancel that, right? It was the owner's stuff, and so he just canceled those debts to, for his his own game, all right. But but that is so telling because it drives the point home for Jesus. But but get this, Psalm. 40, or 24, one and two says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. It's all God's anyhow. I hate to break it to you. You don't have anything that belongs to you. Sorry, all right? Like a college kid, you know, whatever. It's the same idea. It's all God's. He says, everything in it is mine. If you have something, he gave it to you okay and it's that same thing we can be like i can't believe that guy in that story wasn't even his money to cancel and god's like yeah i get that like yeah i get that because guess what all that's mine anyhow he says so when i give you these things i'm trying to see if i can trust you because again this doesn't really matter in eternity so we talked about it doesn't really matter in eternity and so and it's somebody else's, and we, we are aware, as believers, we're aware that that's not ours. And God gave that to us, and if we can then look and say, okay, but that's, that's God's, and so what am I going to do with that? He gave me this, this little bit, or he gave me this influence, he gave me this little bit. What am I going to do with that? And it shows him, if he gave you something more significant, if he put something completely in your hands, will you take care of it? So all that means that if, you, if we want God to trust us with what truly matters, if we're in, in relationships and in ministry opportunities, in influence with people and um, influence in the kingdom of God and all those kind of things, then we need to be faithful with what God has given us right now. And to do that, we cannot hold tight to the things that don't have eternal significance. All right, last thing is this, says you can only serve one. Last point is this, you can only serve one. Look at verse 13. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Man, this is a standard teaching that Jesus comes back to several different times throughout the gospels. It's recorded that when he would talk about money or he'd talk about something with faithfulness and those things, he would just jump right to this teaching about two masters it comes up over and over again and because it hits the core or the root of the problem for us is we have to ask who's really writing the checks who's who's the real boss who what is really most important to you the bottom line is this you cannot have it both ways when Jesus talks about two masters he's trying to be very clear to say we cannot have it both ways we cannot serve both God and money okay because he says you'll either Love the one and despise the other. You'll know, hate the the one and love the other. It, whichever direction you're going, it'll pull you away from the other one. Let me ask you this. How many of you are really good at running in two directions at the same time? Raise your hand. Anybody, right? Like doing this thing where you're like, look like Mr. Bean, you know, okay? Or you look like a guy who really has to go to the bathroom and has no idea where the closest one is, right? Yeah. We all know how that ends. It's not good. I'll just tell you that, all right? We can't do it. We can't run in two different directions at once. It's literally impossible, okay? In Matthew chapter six, it's in the Sermon on the Mountain when Jesus brought up this exact same teaching, okay? And he said, no one can serve two masters. And he goes in that. but right before that, he said this in verses 19 through 21. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The hard truth is this: you cannot. Sorry, you can only store up treasure in one place at a time. I want you to get that: you can only store up treasure in one place at a time. It says, "Don't." He said, "Don't store up for treasure." Um, on earth where it'll be destroyed do it in heaven and the truth is when that when you apply that to what he said next which was two masters you can't serve both you'll either be drawn towards the one or the other and you can't you can't invest in both you can't store up treasure in both at the same time and the more you invest in the one the further your heart be from the other and the thing is that's both good and bad news okay for our relationship with Christ. It's both good and bad news because the thing is, if if I invest in in storing up treasures in eternity and I invest in eternal things, it says that that's where my heart will follow that and my heart will be after the things of God and it'll say my heart will get farther away from the things of this world and storing up treasures on this earth. So that's an awesome thing. But at the same time, if I just store up treasures on earth and I invest all my time in non-eternal things and don't give any time to the eternal things that God has for me, it says my heart's gonna come farther away from that because my heart follows what I treasure and that's really what the moral of this story is is who do you serve why do you make the choices you make how do you know what is right and what is truly important what defines your character are you serving God is your purpose his things and eternal things or is it the things of this world and he says that doesn't work you know, as we wrap this up, I want to talk about um, the story of Stephen in the Bible, okay? In Acts chapter 6 and 7. You know, Stephen is one of my um, favorite stories in, in all of the book of Acts, for sure. And it's interesting because he's only in two chapters. It's, if you want to read about Stephen's life, the only account we have is verse or chapter 6 and 7. And, and Stephen is so such an interesting um, person, and he's so important. Because he was the first martyr of the faith, he was the first person to be to be killed, to be put to death because of his proclamation of Jesus as Lord. Okay, because the, he's the he's what we call a martyr. He's the first one recorded in the Bible that was killed for that reason, not for some other reason. Okay, and so he's incredibly important. But the interesting thing is, you're introduced to Stephen in in chapter six as the one of the seven men chosen to be in charge of distributing food to widows right that that was his job like he was chosen to take food and give it to people who came to the meal for widows like that was that was his job and and it's it doesn't seem all that significant and the interesting thing is the whole point was to free up the apostles to do the work of god because they were saying everybody's fighting about it yeah, even in the early church, they were fighting about, hey, our widows as Gentiles didn't get as much as the Jewish widows did, and they were all fighting about that. We can't imagine that would happen, but so they're all fighting about that, and they, and they and and they said, okay, we can't do this because we're we're too busy trying to work out these things, and we can't be devoted to what we're called to. And this was literally their pitch for the team. Acts six two says it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Like, that's what they were like, guys. We it would not be right for us to stop ministering the word of God, teaching and preaching and, and helping disciple people just to wait on tables. Let somebody else do it. And it's like, so they chose and the first one, they named Stephen, like Stephen could wait tables. Said he was a man full of the, the, the Holy Spirit um, and faith. And, and so they chose Stephen to do that. And it, it's a, it was a pretty humble role in that sense. I mean, it was given some authority, but it was really like, it was literally just like to make sure everybody got the same amount of food. And it was just like, the way they described it was wait on tables. But the thing is, Stephen was a man of God and he was faithful to that. He was faithful to that role. And it says then, because of his heart, he was then ministering in the streets. It says people began to, he I mean, miraculous things were happening in ministry in the streets, him doing that. And so then he got pulled in to the court to, to answer for himself because he was proclaiming Jesus as being um, the Lord. And, and so then he was at court, the Sanhedrin, I mean, in, in the Jewish court there being grilled about this. And he just speaks truth in that moment he talks about his faith in Jesus as Lord and savior. And he talks to, he tells all the people there about their, their sin and, the, and that that's why Jesus had to be put to death. And it was that sin and you that put him to death. And because of that, he was immediately taken out and stoned to death, okay? And he's the first martyr of first faith. And this is why that's so important. It's because on that, it says that very day a huge persecution of, the, of the, the church in Jerusalem broke out. It was, like the, it was like the match thrown on the fire. Like it was this dry fire ready to burn. And as soon as one person, like there's all these people that wanted to take all these Christians out. And as soon as they stoned him, it said that starting that day, this mass persecution and everyone except for the 12 disciples was, t- was scattered out of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria, those surrounding areas that all over there. But here's the, here's the important thing to understand when that happened, that persecution broke out, the gospel exploded. Because then you had all these people who knew the truth of Jesus as Lord and Savior and they went all over and everywhere they went, they ran away because they were scared for their lives, but everywhere they went, they talked about Jesus. And so the the church grew immensely in that moment because of waiter Stephen. Because Stephen was faithful in this little job that he was given, that the disciples did not pitch well at all. They made it sound super insignificant because it was was not as important as what they had to do and said, hey, could you do this? And he stepped up to the task. He was faithful in that. And because he was faithful in that, God knew he could trust him with something much bigger. Because here's what I want you to understand. God in that moment... You had this church, which was just in, the church of Christ was just in Jerusalem at that point. And they were growing in that, but they hadn't taken that anywhere else. And he needed it to spread. Right? And he knew how it was gonna happen. And he knew he needed somebody that wouldn't back down in the face of death. And he said, I know who, Waiter Stephen. It's like he is faithful in that little role of making sure everybody gets an even amount i know that when he stands before that that court of all those people who will put him to death i know he will stand for me and he'll do it with grace. Man, the, the, the death of Stephen, Stephen is one of the most full of grace. It looks so much like Christ, where he even literally says, Father, don't, don't hold this against them. They don't know yet. They don't get it. And they will someday." days. Like, don't, don't hold this against them. Have grace with them, even while he's being stoned, just like Jesus did when he was on the cross. And Jesus knew that. God knew that because Stephen was faithful in the waiter Stephen job. And guys, I want you to understand something today. With the whole point of this teach, when we talk about being faithful in little and faithful in much, is that God has so many awesome plans for you. He has things, he has he has these roles and these opportunities and the eternal significance that he needs people to be a part of. And he looks at the faithful in the little and he says, who who I know who has been faithful already? So I know that they'll be faithful with much. Who do I know? I can, I can trust already with that little role, that little opportunity, those that little bit of money or whatever it is that I've given them. And I know that they'll be faithful when I need them to do something. I need somebody to do something of eternal significance. And just like Stephen... Who was completely faithful in that role, in that small role, and was and was, was glad to do it and served with grace when Jesus needed somebody that was gonna stand firm in the faith so that the faith could be could the gospel could explode all over that region. He said, I know who I'm gonna pick, it's gonna be Stephen, because he's faithful there, and because he's proven there, he's he, he's gonna be faithful somewhere else. I'm not gonna take somebody that says, Nah, I'll do it. if it's if it's something important, I'll do it, but I'm not gonna do it yet, because he knows when the important time comes, they're not gonna do it. And God has for you and I he has important eternal things relationships and people's lives and, and that are, are that are needing a savior for eternity and that God wants somebody that will say yes I can do that and he knows that when he can trust us in the little things and so my challenge for you today through all this this uh parable and the story and understanding that and teaching all those things but the challenge is this is will you step up to your call with whatever it is right now God has for you? Because when God looks at that, he doesn't see necessarily small and big. What he sees is a heart that is faithful or a heart that is not, a heart that is trustworthy or a heart that is dishonest. And he sees those things and says, that's who I can use. That's who I can use. And who wants to be that person? Who wants to be that And I'm not saying God's gonna call you to be a martyr of the faith. That's not necessarily even the point of that. It's to understand that that had incredibly eternal significance. That the church, you and I, would not be the believers we are today if it wasn't for Stephen. If it wasn't for him standing firm in the faith and the gospel able to be taken where it was and then continued, that that growth just continued and continued and continued and covered the earth. And so God's challenged you today is would you be faithful with all the little things I've given you? Because when I see your heart, I know that you can be trusted with much. Would you just stand with me right now? Let's pray.